from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is the first Money Talk of the new year, January 6, 2023. Well, the hottest team in the NFL, your Green Bay Packers, host the Detroit Lions Sunday night, and the Bucks are home tonight with the Hornets, and then they hit the road for a week. A stash of cocaine worth $22,000 was hidden in a forest in Italy by a gang of drug dealers. It was reportedly, it was reportedly found and destroyed by wild hogs. <laughs> who just made pigs of themselves. <laughs> I don't get a groan for that. <laughs> you did. You did. Groaned, I groaned. <laughs> this next one is unbelievable. A two-year-old boy was playing outside his home in Uganda when he was swallowed whole by a hungry, hungry hippo. What makes this unbelievable is the hippo spat the kid back out alive. And there was a lot of bruising, but the kid's going to be all right. So I was wondering, for the hippo, was it a taste or texture thing? <laughs> And one more disturbing story. From Boston comes this bit of news. The Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority is launching a pilot program in which urine detection sensors will be placed in downtown elevators. The sensors alert transit ambassadors who can dispatch cleaning crews. Well, Bostonians with the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Celtics, and the Patriots claim to be the number one sports town in the country. I guess their elevators prove they're number one. <laughs> the world's oldest living land animal recently celebrated his 191st birthday. Jonathan, a giant tortoise that lives in the Indian Ocean. He's lived through two world wars, the invention of the telephone and television, the rise and fall of the Soviet Union, and a whole lot more. There's a lot to be said for never being in a hurry and taking a lot of naps. That last sentence was directed right at my wife. <laughs> and finally, from the Daily Mirror, our silly headline of the week. Warehouse worker, packing stress balls, punches boss in the face. On the podcast today, we have Art Rothschild, Kendall Bauer, Joel Dreesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks as always, Max. Another good intro, a good start to the year for markets as well. The, the NASDAQ up 1% this week. Closing at the bell at 10,569. The SP 500 up 1.4%, closing at 3895. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average adding 700 points on Friday to close the four day week up 1.5%. Those are the same numbers for the year to date, given that the first four trading days of the year all happened this week. I think an important reminder that um, you make that measuring uh, stick short enough, you're going to get some good weeks here and there, which is what I think we've seen. The last couple of months, a lot of back and forth on the stock market, but otherwise pretty range-bound. Uh, just a quick look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury, moving meaningfully lower this week, down 31 basis points or 0.31 percentage points, down from 3.88 down to 3.57% to close the week. So not only did stocks have a strong week, but a reminder that with bonds moving inversely to yields, your bonds and bond funds probably had a pretty strong week as well, and so a great start to 2023. Um, perhaps, however, not a sign that all that much has changed, Art. I think, you know, always happy to see a positive number. We talk about things like Santa Claus rallies, and I think you can maybe put a little more color on that for us. But, 
you know, buried in that is this reminder that um, the first week maybe isn't all that relevant to what we think about the rest of the year. Yeah, you made some comments, I believe, in an upcoming article where you're talking about, um, you know, the year itself. You know, is it a 12-month period we should be looking at? Last year had a lot of bad things that negatively impact the market. But at this point, there's another thing I believe you commented on. At this point a year ago, we were celebrating the fact that we just set another record on Wall Street. It happened to have been the only record for that entire year. So we've now had this, this dearth of um, positive, you know, results. And this week, even though it ended up being a good week, was not a good week day by day. We lost money, I think, the first day, made money the second, lost money the third, made money the fourth. And coming back to the Santa Claus rally that you mentioned, it's, it's great. If you make money the last five trading days of the year and the first two trading days of the year, you, in that time period, that's called the Santa Claus rally. We had had seven of those in a row. Last year we had one, we had it again this year, only because we made money, I think it was yesterday, the day before yesterday, and so it, it doesn't really tell us anything. These are just things Wall Streeters, you know, like to keep track of these little um, things. But it, it is nice that we accomplished something so far this year. The real question, though, is what's going to happen the rest of the year? And is good news going to be good news or is good news going to be bad news? Are people getting jobs? Is it a good thing? Um, and today, of course, the trigger, as you're well aware, is the fact that um, the inflation, inflation seems to be tamped down a little bit and the rises in wages is slowing. Um, but the bad news earlier this week is auto manufacturers just had their worst year in some number of years. So there's plenty of bad news to go around. And as you, as you pointed out, we're coming into early earnings season. And so there's a lot that we have to be respectful of in terms of the information that's going to come out, um, which is all the more reason for us to fasten your seatbelt, you know, be prepared. Yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, the the current couple of weeks we're about to go through are almost throwaway from a data perspective. We're not going to learn all that much new information. Certainly, there's always new information that comes out. And most importantly, there's some things that happen that maybe we weren't expecting. And so we got to be prepared for those. But what we're really looking forward to is, you know, kind of what happens as we get into February. Um, as we really hit the meat of what I think will be a pretty critical point for both earnings, news from the Fed, uh, and Joel, some more information on the economy. You know, we don't have a, a December inflation number yet, but we just got a labor report, kind of the other piece that the Fed cares about uh, for December, and the markets seem to really appreciate that while the labor report, I think, was strong by all measures. Sure. Um, at the same time, it seems to be indicating that we're, we continue to kind of point downward in terms of the pace of those those gains. Yeah, we're slowing down, like like Art's saying. It's it's you know, and, and it's progress, but it's just a slower progress. It's I said earlier today. It's it's you know that um, you're slowing down. You're not sinking. Um, it's, it's the difference between, more technically, the difference between disinflation when inflation is getting smaller and deflation when you're actually, you know, going in, in the opposite uh, direction. Um, so we, we had good numbers. They were pretty solid numbers. Um, we had 223,000 jobs added to the economy in December. Um, now that's down from what the monthly average was for the year, which was 375,000, and it's down from, you know, it's less than half of what it was in 2021, which was 562,000, but we're still up 
more than a million jobs from um, when the COVID pandemic started. So that's looking pretty good. But there were things within that report that also showed um, that, that things are slowing down. Uh, Art mentioned wages. Um, the year-to-year average wage increase is now 4.6%. Well, it was at 5.6% in um, May. So, it, you know, it's been going down every month since then. So that's, that's been getting thinner. The other thing that um, traditionally that you look at uh, with the labor report is that um, temporary help um, hires. Um, traditionally, that's a harbinger of, of sort of the direction of, of hiring overall. And that's been going down now for, for every month for like five or six months. So that may be a sign that that progress is going to get even slower. I think important to understand the the thinking behind that, right? That if you're unwilling to commit to a full-time worker, but you still need the help right now, you look to temporary staffing as a way to kind of bridge the necessary work today to the environment in which you think it won't be necessary anymore, typically because of an economic slowdown. And so um, I'm watching that fairly closely to get an understanding of how corporate America really feels about the prospects for employment six months from now. And Kyle, the other thing that's going on is that um, employers know that there aren't a lot of employees and especially qualified, you know, the trained um, employees that they want. So they're hesitant to let people go. Um, and, and we're seeing that in the uh, initial unemployment claims numbers. Um, and, and, you know, so they actually might be hanging on to people longer um, even as the economy does slow down. And we got some data from the ISM on the services sector, signs of contraction there. Yeah, uh, that was, um, they had two reports this week. Uh, one was the services sector, one was the manufacturing sector. Both are showing uh, contraction, both are showing recession, both are showing that those industries are doing um, the worst that they've done since May of 2020. Uh, so that's, you know, uh, maybe a little bit concerning, but also within there, um, they were saying that um, supplier deliveries are improving. In, in the manufacturing report, the supplier deliveries were the best they've been since March of 2009. So, uh, and, and that's something that, remember, was, was really factoring into the high inflation that we had earlier this year. So when you see that happening, when people are going to be getting their stuff on time, that's a sign that maybe inflation will keep going down too. Well, and Art, you pointed out an article uh, in the Wall Street Journal from Alan Blinder on inflation, looking at this idea that, you know, a lot of this comes down to how we choose to measure. And it's something we've been talking about on the podcast quite a bit. It's something that we've been, I think, alluding to that there's things like base effect, right? What you're comparing the current prices to has an impact on what inflation looks like, but also understanding that we got to differentiate between magnitude and direction. Um, and Art, as the article points out, we've gotten some significant progress on direction, even if the numbers we typically see reported aren't telling us that the Fed's quite to that target yet for inflation. Yeah, in that article, Alan Blinder pointed out that even though the year-to-year numbers are still high, the month-to-month numbers have come way down. And, and as a matter of fact, you could almost say that the, the Fed has won their war against inflation, or you could assume that. Um, they don't want you to be thinking that. They don't want you to be asking for higher uh, wages. They, they don't want the market celebrating as it did today. 
Um, and so we'll see what they say. Um, but the market's acting like the war's over, and it's quite frankly just one battle to the Fed. And I would fully anticipate that they raise interest rates at their next meeting, and we'll see what they say. If they want to tampen down enthusiasm and, and cause the market to go down, they will do so if it serves their interest of getting people to feel not quite as well off so they don't spend as much money, so they don't drive prices higher. But month to month, the numbers are spectacular, you know, at this point. And, and that's one of the reasons why the market was celebrating a bit early today. Yeah, to, <clears throat> to piggyback off that, Art, I think another thing to today, and, and maybe a reason to contribute the market, you know, having a screaming finish to the week is, the, and Joel mentioned this earlier, the, the idea of disinflation versus deflation, um, that wage growth slowing, um, but jobs still being added, still props up this idea of a soft landing. Um, and I think unemployment's still low, obviously, but now you have wages starting to slow. Um, and that potentially could allow the Fed to ease off. You know, I think they're going to come out and they've been pretty transparent with the plan to continue to raise rates at, at you know, everyone's fighting over at, is it going to be 50 or 25 basis points? But maybe it's a series of 25 basis points that ends a little bit sooner. Yeah, there's an old saying on Wall Street, don't fight the Fed. <laughs> and so the market really is fighting the Fed right now. They're, they're going so far as to predict, and that's one of the reasons long-term interest rates have gone down, they're betting that we're going to have a recession. They're betting that the Fed is going to have to lower rates. Um, I don't think the Fed wants to have to do that. They want to keep raising rates until they're sure um, that we're at a level at which they can lower rates without stimulating the economy. If they have to lower rates to stimulate an economy that's dead as a doornail, we have a problem. So I really don't want to see that. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned about what the market is forecasting. Um, and and th the other side of this, which is really unfortunate, speculation versus long-term investing. Um, every single day you've got speculators out there driving stocks or bonds higher or lower based upon what they think might happen at some point in time. We as long-term investors want to stay focused on our long-term objectives. We have stocks for long-term growth. We have bonds perhaps for some appreciation, but primarily for income and stability. Um, and so what happens on a day-to-day -day basis, which we talk about periodically, um, it shouldn't concern the long-term investor. Um, it's just noise. It's static. Well, and our, here's the challenge with that, right? We've come through what we would otherwise consider is fairly unprecedented times, whether it's the pace of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, whether it's COVID, whether it's going back a decade here, the, the financial crisis, or a decade earlier than that, the tech bubble. I think all of this points to this idea that our short term sometimes can be a little longer than what even most of us are comfortable with, right? This idea that um, you know, short term isn't always just the next three to six months. Sometimes it's even a couple of years. Um, and Kendall, I know there was something that caught your eye this week. I think trying to put some of those events in perspective, this understanding that you know, if you've if you've lived through enough, long term looks a little different for you. Yeah, <clears throat> if you, if you wouldn't mind me reading a short little segment here just to kind of piggyback of what you said. I, I find it interesting. It may not completely relate to what we talk to on a week-to-week -week basis, but maybe we can draw some something out of it. But uh, And this has gone around all social media outlets this week, and, and for good reason. I think it's quite interesting. But uh, for you know, small amount of perspective, uh, put, your, put yourself in the place of someone born in 1900 
Uh, when you're 14, World War I starts and ends on your 18th birthday with 22 million people killed. Later in that same year, Spanish flu pandemic hits the planet and runs until you're roughly 20. 50 million people die from it in those two years. Then you're 29, the Great Depression begins, unemployment hits 25%, global GDP drops 27%. That runs until you're roughly 33. The country nearly collapses along with the world economy. By the time you turn 39, World War II starts and you're not even over the hill yet. When you're 41, the United States is pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people perish in the war, the Holocaust claiming another 6 million. Now at age 52, the Korean War starts and five more million people pass away. At 64, Vietnam War begins and it doesn't end for years. Four million people die roughly in that conflict. As you now approach your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, tipping point in the Cold War. Life on our planet as we know it could well have ended. As you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. Think of everyone on the planet born in 1900. How do you survive all that? An interesting port point, um, you know, from a child's perspective, a kid in 1985 didn't think their 85-year-old grandparent understood how hard school was mm-hmm. or, or the troubling times they ran into with a playground bully. Um, yet those grandparents and, and likely great-parents and great-grandparents in the 80s and early 2000s, um, you know, what they lived through is, is just a perspective, I think, that puts things into a big picture. And I want to bring that back just for a second to the conversation we were having earlier because I think it is a pretty powerful message for just folks in general to maybe have some reverence for those that are older than us, to maybe understand that somebody else might have seen a little more than we've seen. (laughs) But beyond that, from an investing perspective, to understand that you you look back at that 100-year stretch from 1900 to 2000, it was actually a pretty good run for stocks. Um, but there were some pretty terrible short-term periods in that 100-year lifespan. And I think the challenge is figuring out, okay, are we in one of those rough stretches right now? I think it's always possible, right? We, we clearly were during the pandemic. It became over fairly quick. We que- clearly were back in the financial crisis, what I was talking about earlier. But we have to be, I think, Uh, we have to be humble enough to understand that we're not the ones that are going to be able to predict in the moment what's what's the meaning of this 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and to understand that, you know, as Art pointed out earlier, it's balance. It's a balanced portfolio that really makes what we do work because we don't have to be right about the magnitude of this specific event. We understand that it's significant. How significant is is always going to be yet to be seen. And so, I think that's why I appreciate you know kind of those words that have been floating around. Is it, it's critical to what we do and the kind of uh, humility that we have to show as investors. Yeah, bring it even closer into the investment relevance of that perspective. Um, there's a lot of talk about last year being the worst year for investors since 2008. That having been said, in 2008 we had an economic disaster globally. Uh, everybody was losing money. Banks were falling apart. Uh, auto companies couldn't sell cars and were being rescued. The stock market in 2008 lost about 37%. So last year, 2022, the market lost 18, based on the S&P dividends included. That's half of what we lost that year. Uh, now, the next year, 2009, 
the market dropped 25% to start the year in 10 weeks. That was a very catastrophic time period. What we're going through right now isn't nearly that bad. So that's point number one. Point number two, which you alluded to, you can't time these things. You've got to be invested. The market over long periods of time has been a very good place to make money, stocks and or bonds, especially combined in a balanced way as we do. And looking back at last year, I want to comment on something you said on the show last week. You talked about days. If you miss these days, you know, you're not going to make any money. Well, there are only really three good months last year. And so if, if you wanted to be making as much as possible, you had to time out, meaning just get out. You know, you should have been out at this point last year. Um, stayed out the first half of the year, got on in, in on July 1st, been there for a month. Somehow you had to know to get out. Then you had to get back in on October 1st, and nobody wants to do that, but you had to hang in there for two months. You would have made 15% at least last year with that strategy. Now, I want someone to tell me how I'm supposed to do that this year so we can make some money this year, <laughs> if you can do it. And we're not going to predict that you can because I don't think it works. But over long periods of time, we get through all sorts of catastrophes. We'll forget about them after they've happened, and, and we'll celebrate the good news you know, when it arrives. To piggyback <clears throat> again, Art, uh, two things. One, uh, fantastic point um, talking about coming into 2009, the market struggling. Um, and those being two of the more brutal years back-to-back, you see if you look back over a long period of time, look only the following eight years after that. And I'm not going to throw numbers off the top of my head, but it's it's a pretty fantastic stretch that the markets went on. Um, So, yeah, I completely agree with you. The second part, um, fantastic article coming out. It was on the journal – website from Jason Swag. I don't know if that's going to come out in the weekend edition in the paper version of the journal, talking about doubling down on the 60-40 portfolio, um, which I absolutely love. This idea that last year was, I think, undoubtedly one of, if not the worst year for a 60-40 portfolio. Um, But that doesn't mean you run from the strategy that's worked 29 out of the other 30 years or whatever that may be. Um, and it's a great read, um, and it talks about a lot of the things we talked about or we have been talking about for the last few months, particularly around fixed income and, and how attractive bonds look now with higher yields and higher interest rates looking out three, five, ten years uh, relative to the last decade, which we all know bonds didn't really do much. I appreciate those comments. I think um, given the the strong returns this week given kind of our expectations that the next couple of weeks probably look a little more like the, the end of the year last year it's a, a good point here maybe to to step back and just remind everyone hey this is the time of year when you want to be talking to us it's the time of year when you want to make sure that what you have continues to be appropriate not because of what happened last year not because of what's happened in the last five but because of where you're headed in your own life and um, you know, add in, you know, maybe some of the opportunity that's out there talking about doubling down on that 60-40, I think, is is spot on in that conversation. Um, and even relying more on bonds than we have in the past, given the opportunities that are out there now. So maybe with that, we'll leave it there for this week. As always, enjoy doing the program for you. Um, happy New Year to everyone. Welcome to 2023. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalkatlandis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>